Today I want to wrap up the series, The Battle, and I want to take you to the, the, the key scriptures we've been studying throughout this series in Ephesians chapter 6 and pick up reading in verse number 10. The Bible says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God and you and I are in a battle. There is a spiritual battle going on. And Paul says the only way to win this battle is you have to have the full armor of God on. You cannot win this battle with a third of the armor on. You can't win the battle with half or two-thirds of the armor on. It requires the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle, our battle, our war is not against flesh and blood. Paul draws our attention to the fact that we're not fighting against people. We're not fighting against human beings. We are fighting against a real spiritual enemy. Please hear me today. There is a devil. There are demons that are fighting against God's will on the earth, that are fighting against God's plan for your very life. He goes on to say, but against the rulers, we're fighting against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Since you're in a battle, put on the full armor of God. And Paul talks about the armor again. I've told you this a few times throughout the series. Paul wrote this letter as he was in a Roman prison, a Roman jail cell because of his faith in Christ. And he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. And Paul was looking over and seeing the Roman soldier's armor. And he was comparing his armor to our Christian armor that we need to wear to win the spiritual battle that we're fighting. So he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And a few weeks ago, I talked to you about the belt of truth. And you can go online, peopleschurch.tv, listen to the messages, watch the messages absolutely free. And I unpack the belt of truth, that first piece of the armor. He goes on to say, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and we covered that. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We covered both of those last week. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. That's where I want to begin today. The helmet of salvation. You see, the helmet protected the Roman soldier's head from arrows that would be flying when he was in battle, but the primary function of the helmet was to protect the head from the broad sword. And the broad sword was a very large sword, about four feet long, and it was very wide. The soldier actually had to grab it with both hands like a baseball bat. And the soldier would take the broad sword, come over his head, down upon his opponent's head with the broadsword to cause damage to his opponent's head, to defeat his opponent, to kill his opponent with the strike of the broadsword across the head. So the soldier would put on the helmet to protect his head from the broadsword. You say, well, pastor, what does this helmet look like? The helmet of salvation, the helmet that the soldier wore, what does it look like? Well, I've got a picture of it I want to show you today. 
All right, that's, that's the, come on now, somebody. That is the helmet of salvation. Did y'all see how bad we beat those giants the other night? We went into Giant Stadium and whooped them down, the Super Bowl champions. Do you know why we won? Do you know why we won? Because we had the helmet of salvation on, folks. That's why. How about them Cowboys? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's not quite what the helmet of salvation looks like. But the soldier did wear a helmet. And, and, and there are some that say that the helmet of salvation is referring to being saved. But being saved or being born again or giving Jesus Christ your heart can't be what Paul is referring to. Because, listen, if you're going to win the battle against Satan, against the demonic forces, salvation can't be the fifth thing you put on. Listen, it has to be the first thing you do. It doesn't make any sense at all for Paul to say, well, if you want to defeat the devil, first put on the belt of truth, then take up the breastplate of righteousness and put it on. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith next. And oh, by the way, get saved. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all. But Paul is not saying the fifth thing you need to do is get saved. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are already saved and he's telling us that if we want to win the battle against our spiritual enemy, we must put on the helmet of salvation to stand and to defeat the evil one. And the question is, what is the helmet of salvation? Paul gives us more insight and clarity about the helmet of salvation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in verse number 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Everybody shout hope. I want you to catch that. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see, the helmet of salvation is connected to our hope. Matter of fact, the church at Thessalonica, they were struggling with their hope. They actually thought that the second coming of the Lord had already taken place, and and they were losing their hope. Is Jesus going to come back for us? We already heard he came. And and Paul's writing to them and says, don't lose hope. Your your salvation is drawing near. Don't lose hope that the Lord is coming back for you. And he talks about this helmet of salvation, and it's connected. Connected to our hope. He said, Pastor, what is hope? Hope is the expectation of something good. It's, it's, something, it's, it's, it's looking forward to something good happening in your life. Looking forward to it. Perhaps it's, it's in your physical body and you're facing sickness. And you've got hope. You're looking forward to your body being healed. Maybe it's with your kids and they're not serving the Lord and they're living a wild life and, and you've got hope. You're looking forward to the day that your kids get saved and begin to serve the Lord with, with fervor. Perhaps it's in your marriage and things are going south in your marriage and, and you're looking forward to, you've got hope that one day your marriage is going to get better. Perhaps it's with your career and, and you're believing in your career. You, you've got hope. You're looking forward to the day that you receive the promotion. Perhaps it's with your education and, and you're looking forward to the day that that you hope to graduate from high school. Praise the Lord. You're going to do it. Amen, teenager. You're going to do it. 
And then you're looking forward to the day that you're going to graduate with your college degree and your master's degree and your doctorate's degree. You're looking forward to the day. Perhaps it's you're looking forward to knowing Christ better and walking closer to Christ and serving him better and knowing him in a more intimate and closer way. And you're looking forward to knowing Christ better. Perhaps it's, it's, it's overcoming a bad habit or an addiction that has taken you on a detour. And you've got hope. You're looking forward to the day that you overcome that bad habit, that you overcome that addiction. Maybe it's looking forward to heaven. Anybody looking forward to heaven? Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. I really am. Listen, this earth is not all there is. There is a heaven where we are going to spend eternity as followers of Jesus Christ. I I look forward to heaven. I look forward to there being no more sorrow and no more pain and no more death. I look forward to being no more sickness. I look forward to there being no more sin and murder and chaos and rape and child abuse. I look forward to the day where there's no more tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes. I can't wait to walk on streets of gold and live in my mansion. I can't wait for heaven. And I look forward to heaven. I got a hope for for heaven. Perhaps it's looking forward and having hope for a brighter future. And you've got hope as you look at your life for a brighter future. I, I look at my life and I've got hope for a brighter future. Uh, God has blessed us, but I believe for the Cooper family, the best is yet to come. And I look at my marriage, and I love my wife with all of my heart, married for 15 years now this year, and, and yet I look for the next 15 years that God's going to do even greater things, and, and we're going to fall even more madly in love. And I look forward to growing old with my wife and raising our kids together and investing in our grandkids one day if the Lord tarries. I, I look forward to, to Tiffany and I retiring at People's Church when I'm 85 years old and walk out with gray hair to our rocking chairs. I said 85. That's right. Praise the Lord. Pray for your pastor. Strength for a long long time strength but I got hope I got hope for my kids I don't look at my kids with despair when I look at my kids I'm full of hope that my kids are going to serve the Lord that my sons are going to be mighty men of God mighty men of valor mighty men of integrity I look at my little princess my daughter and I look at her with hope that she's going to serve God with all of her heart she's going to be a mighty powerful woman of God that God uses in a mighty way I look forward to my kids with with hope I I look at people's church and look at this church and I'm full of hope God has done great things the last 10 years but we're just getting started and I look at our church and I look with the eyes of a hope that God's not done with us. He's just getting started with us. There's more lives to be changed. There are more days of hope where we need to feed the poor and resource people who are, who are struggling financially with backpacks and school supplies and, and minister to people and help single moms with oil changes. I, I've got to hope our Midwest City campus running 13, 1400 or so that that campus in the, in the short future is going to run 2000 people and see more lives changed. I got hope that this church is going to continue to make a difference. We're just getting started. We're going to plant more campuses around Oklahoma City and around the state of Oklahoma to see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and marriages restored and people set free from addictions and lives turned around by the power of God. I look at our church and I'm full of hope. Anybody got hope in the house today? Hope, 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 hope. Hope is so important to winning the battle. Friends, one of Satan's most effective weapons against us is to make us feel hopeless. He attacks us with discouragement and tries to rob us of hope. And hope is key. Hope is key to winning the battle. One man put it like this. 
Man can live about 40 days without food. He can live about eight days without water. He can live about four minutes without air. But he can't live one second without hope. You and I need the hope of salvation as a helmet to win the battle against Satan. Hope, hope, hope. The Bible talks so much about hope. I don't have time to unpack all the many verses on the subject and the importance of hope. But I do want to share a few with you today. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, may the God of hope. I want you to understand that God's a God of hope. If you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, God's put this depression on me, you're wrong because God's a God of hope. If you're thinking to yourself, well, uh, God's making me sad and I'm feeling despair in my heart. It's coming from the Lord. No, God's a God of hope. That's who he is. He's a God of hope. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that God's will for your life is that you would overflow with hope. If you're here today and you feel hopeless, that's not from the Lord. You're out of the will of God. If you're here today and you're, you're just depressed and feel defeated, I want you to know that has not come from your heavenly father. God's plan for you is that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you'd be looking forward to something. First Timothy chapter one and verse one says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Friends, let me tell you, don't put your hope in your feelings. Don't put your hope in your emotions. Can I tell you, emotions and feelings are up and down all the time. I mean, know what I'm talking about. One moment you're happy, the next moment you're mad. Come on, one moment you're full of joy and 30 seconds later you can be in tears of sorrow. You know what I'm saying? Feelings come and go. Your feelings will lie to you. You feel, come on, one day, you, one day you feel like you're in your right mind, the next day you feel like you're losing your mind. Feelings, they're all over the place. And you can't anchor your hope in feelings. You can't anchor your hope in people. Just like feelings change, people change. Come on, one minute they're for you and the next minute they're against you. One minute they like you and they smile in your face and the next minute they're stabbing you in your back. People. Now, I'm not talking about any of you. Come on now. I'm not talking about you. Come on. I'm talking about those other people. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Not you. Not you. People change. You can't anchor your hope in people. Listen, you can't anchor your hope in money. Money comes and money goes. Come on. You had money last week and this week your money's at the mall. It comes and it goes. And you can't anchor your hope in money. And so Paul reminds us and he says, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is our hope. We must anchor our hope in Christ alone, the solid rock. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, we continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. And your endurance, everybody shout endurance. I want that to get in your heart today. That's so key. Your endurance inspired by hope. Your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you're full of hope, you have endurance. You have endurance to continue to fight. Can I submit to you today that every battle is not won overnight? There are some battles... To win the battle, it takes hours to win the battle. There are some battles that 
you only win after weeks of fighting and days of fighting. There are some battles, it takes months of fighting. There, there are some battles that are only won after years of fighting. And, and you can always tell when the devil is attacking somebody's hope. Because they start to lose their willingness to put up a fight. They start to lose their endurance that's inspired by hope. And there are some of you here today, some watching me online right now, that you're saying to yourself, I don't have anything to look forward to. You're, you're saying to yourself, you, you feel like you can't, you can't make it another day. You're ready to give up. You literally feel like life is not worth living. And can I tell you what's happening? The devil has grabbed the broadsword and he's coming across your head with the broadsword and robbing you of hope. Some of you, it's in your marriage. And the devil's attacking you. And you feel hopeless. You're sitting here today, you're watching me around the world and you're thinking to yourself, why should I stay married? I mean, some of you have been married 30, 40, 50 years, and you're thinking, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Forget everything we've done together. I'm just tired. I'm sick of her. I'm sick of him. And there's just no hope in our relationship. And you feel that way. Some of you, you you've been married for 20 years, some 10, 5. Some of you have been married six months, and you're thinking, there's no hope. I didn't know I signed up for this. She's never going to change. He's never going to change. I'm sick of this. Marriage. And, and you know what's happening? The devil has his broadsword and he's coming across your head. Some of you it's with your kids and you feel hopeless. And you look at your kids and you think, my kids are grown and they're not serving the Lord. They're strung out on drugs. They're strung out on alcohol. They're, 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 they're strung out. They're, he, he or she's in prison. There's no hope. They're, they're never going to serve the Lord. I haven't talked to my kids in months and years. There's just no hope. I got a rebellious kid, and she's seven. There's no hope. It's just what? Come on, how many know they can be rebellious at seven just like they can at 16? Come on now. And you're thinking, why do I even bring them to church? Why do I teach them the Bible? Why do I even pray for them? Look, look, and, and the devil is taking the broadsword across your, across your head. Some of you are with money, and you feel hopeless. You sit here today, and you're thinking to yourself, why am I even trying? I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm sick of this. I don't even know why I work. The washer and dryer broke down. I got it fixed. And the car broke down. And it's just, there's no hope. I got the car fixed and then the microwave broke down. I had to go buy a new microwave at Walmart. When I got a new microwave, the iron broke down. I mean, an iron should never break down. My iron won't even get hot. I know the devil's a liar. And you know what's happening? You know what's happening? The devil has that broadsword, and he's coming across your head. Some of you, is with friendships. And you think, I'm going to have to live life lonely. People have hurt you. They've let you down. They've disappointed you. They've stabbed you in your back. And you're thinking, I can't trust again. I'm going to live life lonely. And the devil's whispering in your ear, you'll never have any friends. Nobody's going to be your friend. No, nobody would like you. Don't get that 30-day challenge thing they're talking about and get in a small group. and Maybe come on a Wednesday night and be a part of the small group. You don't do that. You know how people have hurt you in the past. 
You know how people have let you down. Nobody's going to like you. You know what the devil does? He makes you think you have to live life all by yourself, and he's coming across your head with the broadsword. Some of you, it's with God. And literally, you feel like, why am I a Christian? The devil's attacking you and whispering in your ear. Why are you serving God? I mean, you gave your life to God, and things have got worse instead of getting better. I mean, why are you still praying? Why are you in church today? Please, there's a lot of stuff you could be. Why are you in church? Listen, you've been praying about that situation for months. Look, God hasn't done anything. Why are you still praying? Why are you worshiping? What are you doing? It's worthless. I mean, and the devil is coming across your head with the broadsword. Some of you, it's your very life. And you feel like life isn't worth living. I had a friend of mine a week or so ago. He told me this on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being, I'm going to kill myself. 1 being, I'm okay. He said, I'm about a 3. I know I shouldn't even be a 3, but there's the thoughts that cross my mind. Jumping off a bridge, running in front of a car. And my life's not worth living. And can I tell you what the enemy is doing? Is he's got his broadsword and he's coming across your head and robbing you of hope because hope is key to winning the battle. Can I say if you don't have hope, you won't stay in the fight. You'll give up. Please hear me, people's church. You have to believe that God will help you in your day of trouble. You have to believe that God will one day bring victory in your life and in your situation. If you don't believe that you'll lose if you don't believe one day it'll turn around you'll lose you've got to have hope i think jeremiah says it best in jeremiah 29 and verse 11 he says for i know the plans i have for you can i submit to you that god has a plan for your life I don't care what you're going through today. God has a plan for your life. Israel was in exile. They were away from the promised land. They were not in the blessed place. They were not. They were out of God's will. And God says to Israel, who had rebelled against him, they're living in a foreign land. And God says to Israel, I know the plans I have for you, Israel. And he says the same thing to you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. You say, does God want to hurt me? Does he want to harm me? His plans must be horrible. Look at what I'm going through. It's horrible. No, 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 no. God's plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Can I declare to you today, no matter what you're facing in life, I want you to remember that trouble don't last always. You've got to have hope that one day things are going to turn around. You have to believe with everything that's inside of you that God has a good plan for your life. Because it's true that God's plan for you is not to harm you, not to hurt you. God's plan for your life is to give you a hope and a future. I can say this with confidence as your pastor, with conviction, with everything inside of me. I can say this over your life today. The best is yet to come. The be- I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what you're going through. The devil might be taking the broadsword across your head. You might feel hopeless. I just want you to know the best is yet to come. God can turn it around here on earth, but even if you struggle the rest of your life, there is a heaven. Amen. You're going to spend all of eternity. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There's a second thing I want you to hear today, a second thing, and that is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, the last piece of the armor. Ephesians 6 and verse 17, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Very interesting. The first five pieces of armor have been strictly defensive. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, 
the shield, and the helmet. They were all intended to protect the soldier from the attacks of the enemy. But this last piece of armor, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is God's holy word, is an offensive weapon that Christians can use to defeat the enemy. It's very interesting there when it talks about the sword of the spirit. And it says in Ephesians 6, 17, which is the word of God. And that word word, if you do a little Greek study there, it's not the word logos. It's it's the word rhema, which means a word that is led by the spirit. A rhema word, a a right now word. In other words, what Paul is saying is that there are times when you're in a battle, you don't have time to go devil, time out, time out. This is not fair. I don't know the Bible. I hadn't prayed, hadn't been to church. I don't read the Bible. Well, hold on, let me get something here that I can work with. No, no, there's sometimes you're in a battle. You don't have time for timeouts. You're in the heat of the battle and you need a right now word. And what Paul is talking about is a word from the word. You need a word from the word, from the word of God, from the Bible. You need a word, a rainbow, a word from the word. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? Let me show you. Jesus teaches us how to properly use the sword of the spirit to defeat the devil. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit, the sword, by the spirit, and he's getting ready to use the sword of the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, the devil, the evil one came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread the sin of pleasure the sin of pleasure you're supposed to be fasting but please your flesh he tempts us the same way you deserve the pleasure feed your flesh make yourself happy go ahead and feed your appetite feed that desire i know god said you shouldn't do it but go ahead to feed that desire the sin of pleasure and jesus answered it is Written. Can I tell you, Jesus didn't go, time out, time out. You're attacking me. I don't like it. I don't know what to do, but time out. No, 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 no. Jesus immediately said, he got a word, a rhema word, a word from the word. And he said, it is written. Please hear me. We talk to you a lot at this church about reading your Bible. It is so key that you're reading the word of God. You just can't come to church on Sunday. That's important, but you've got to read the word of God for yourself. It's so important that you know the word, you're in the word, that you get in the word in your heart. Matter of fact, there are times that I'm preaching here and you're thinking, well, pastor, this series is not relevant to me today. But please hear me. I teach the word of God. We believe in teaching the infallible, inspired word of God in this church. We're not just giving you a few little talks and a few little lessons about life, about poetry, about, you know, some ideologies. No, 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 no. We're teaching you the word of God. And today you might not think it's relevant, but can I tell you a year from now or two years from now when the devil's pressing in on you, you can have, you got something to draw from because you've been hearing the word of God sitting under the teaching of the word of God. And God gives you a word from the word that's been inside of you. And you can say, no, devil, it's written. And Jesus got a word from the word. And I want you to notice he used Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. And he said this to the devil. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says, then the devil took him. In other words, the devil said, I'm going to leave you long on that. I better switch, go, go to something else. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, And then the devil quotes the Bible. Can I tell you that the devil knows the Bible? The thing about the devil is he he never rightly divides the word of truth. The devil takes the Bible and he twists the Bible for his benefit. He twists the Bible so that his will will be done. That's why you have to know the Bible. You have to know. You can't just take one verse and say, I know them. I got this one verse and I'm holding on to it. And that's the only verse I know. 
You got to know the Bible. You got to know what a scripture says in context because the devil will take something out of context and twist it for his benefit. It happens all the time. People say, well, you know, God is love. I just live like I want because God is love. And that's true. But that's not the whole truth. God is love, but he's also just. And you have to know the totality of the word of God. People say, God's merciful and great. And that's true. God's gracious. And they say, well, you know, I just do what I want to do. I just kind of, you know, me and God are homies. We're partners. We're boys. And, I, you know, God's gracious. He understands. He's mer- no, no, but you have to also understand that the Bible says that God's a judge. And one day you're going to stand before the judge, and he's going to judge you on, on your words and your actions. As a Christian, he's going to judge you on your life to give you rewards. He's going to, listen, he's, yes, he's merciful. Yes, he's gracious. But you're accountable with your life. And so you have to have the whole context because the devil will take a verse and he will twist it for his benefit. And that's what he does with Jesus. And he says this to Jesus. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And the devil tempts Jesus with the sin of power. You're powerful. Come on, show us your power. Come on, you're all that, aren't you? Come on, just command the angels to get you. Come on, show me your power. Test God a little bit and show us how powerful you are. He tempts us the same way. The sin of power. Come on, you're powerful. You don't need to serve people. You run people. You step on people. You lift up your own name. You let people know who you are. Come on, you be full of yourself. Show, show, show your power. And Jesus responded back, it is also written. It, it is also written. And he took that weapon, that sword of the Spirit, and this time he got a word from the Word. And he quoted Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to test. And again, the devil took him. This time the devil says, hey, I'm switching subjects again. You, you got me on that one. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you, will, if you will bow down and worship me, the sin of possessions. We see the sin of pleasure. We see the sin of power. And we see the sin of possessions. And the devil tells Jesus, listen, I'll give you all. I'm the God of this world, of this earth. And I'll give you everything you see. Just worship me. Don't go die on that cross and suffer. Take the easy route. Take the shortcut. Don't listen to God the Father. Come on, I'll give you all these possessions. He does the same thing with you and I, the sin of possessions. It's all about money. Neglect your family. Neglect God. And you just chase the dollar bill. Just get more possessions. Do unethical stuff. Don't, Don't lean on God. You just do it yourself. The sin of possessions. And Jesus said in verse 10, away from me, Satan. For it is written, and I want you to notice all three occasions, Jesus spoke the word. He didn't just think the word. He spoke the word. There is power in speaking the word of God. It is a sword that will defeat the enemy. And Jesus spoke the word. This time he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. And he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And notice verse number 11. Then the devil left him. Jesus took the weapon, the offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, the word, a word from the word, and he used it on the devil, and the devil fled Jesus. It reminds me of James chapter 4 and verse 7, where the scripture says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But the key is you've got to submit yourself to God. So, Pastor, what does it look like to be submitted to God? If you're submitted to God, you're submitted to his word. You cannot be submitted to God and you're not submitted to his word. Is your marriage submitted to God? 
Is your dating relationship submitted to God? Is your money submitted to God? Is your mind and emotions submitted to God? Is what you listen to and watch submitted to God? Because when you submit yourself to God and to the authority of his word and you line your life up to the word of God and you resist the devil like Jesus did and you take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, resist the devil. And the Bible says the devil will flee from you. And some of you need the devil to flee from your marriage, flee from your mind, flee from your kids, flee from your finances, flee from your health. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Use the sword of the Spirit as you resist the enemy. And he will flee from you. Put on the full armor of God and take your stand against the devil's schemes. Victory is yours in Jesus' name.